Welcome to Accelerate Your Wealth, a podcast by Rebecca Robertson, founder and director of Evolution Financial Planning. We hope you enjoy the show and please feel free to leave us a review. It really does help. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook, LinkedIn and Instagram or head over to www.rebeccarobertson.co.uk or our sponsor, Evolution Financial Planning for regulated advice on www.evolutionfinancialplanning.co.uk forward slash podcast. So for today's show, we've got a special event. We have Ellie, who is a family lawyer, and Natalie and uh, Laura, who are going through or um, been through um, a separation divorce. Um, and so today's show is going to be super interesting. If you're somebody that is in the middle of all of that and you're looking for some guidance, some support, some help, um, and it might be emotional, practical or legal, then this is the show for you. So enjoy. And and child maintenance, obviously, that's that's changed a lot in the last, I'd say, four years where previously you you would have all the, the just as an example, females having my, my dad had had my um had looked after us solely he had sole parental responsibility my mum didn't pay him any maintenance um for whatever reason I don't know what so I'm I don't mean to use the the normal examples when it comes to male and female I'm not beating all men up but my dad was a great dad and my husband's a great husband so there are good ones out there but um as we're talking about separation and divorce and Mm -hmm. the two ladies three ladies here with with children that have all been um left with children on their own but there are situations now where from a child maintenance it's not just the the male walking away and that the children don't see their dads um there there's a lot of men now going for actually i'll have the children on 50 50 and then i haven't got to give you child maintenance well i'll flip that the other way around because the bit you probably don't know i didn't mention when i separated my children stayed with their dad so although i saw them um regularly all the time and and that was fine um i paid him maintenance so child maintenance did change in the 90s prior to, to um, the child maintenance coming in into force when it used to be the old, what was it initially, CSA, I think it was called to start with. Um, that changed everything. And in my view, it's the worst thing to ever happen to family law in this country, because at that point, what happens is men get rewarded by having the children more because they have to pay less money and women get rewarded by stopping the dad seeing the kids because they'll get more money. It's It has turned from being what's best for the children to being, well, if I give him that extra night, my CMS is going to go down. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying all women do this. Not all men only apply for more time with the children because of money. I'm not suggesting that. But it is a tool that people can use. And mm-hmm. even if the other party is not using that tool, very often the, the soon-to-be ex-spouse thinks they're using that tool. So the dad may have real genuine reasons and capability to looking after the children three nights a week or four nights a week but mum's going to say no because yeah he's only doing it because he doesn't want to pay the maintenance so there's a lot of prejudice coming in from both sides rightly or wrongly and in a lot of the case it is wrongly but that's what's happened now over the more recent years it has changed it's gone through a few different um kind of iterations it was the csa it was cms there's all different Um, experiments have happened and changes to this in order to make it fairer I still don't think we're quite right on the money Um, it's now paid as a a percentage from the gross income 
And if you're earning, I think it's three, I've got to try and get my numbers right now. I think it's £3,000 a week then or, or under, then the courts don't deal with the child maintenance as a regular thing. They would do it if there are international foreign elements, that sort of thing. Um, if one party is living or working abroad or whatever it is. But for the most part, if you're earning less than £3,000 a week, the courts don't deal with it. You can write it into an order. So as um, I think Laura was was suggesting, they, they may at some point be some kind of agreement that's reached rather than court enforced, possibly. If it's agreed, you can write it into a court order, but that court order is only legally binding on both parents in terms of child maintenance for one year. And people don't get told this. So you'll agree to something. You'll maybe take a lesser settlement because you've got this lovely big child maintenance award that you've agreed between you. And in a year's time, the person who's paying going, yeah, I'm going to go and get a CMS um, calculation, which is inevitably much lower um, than would otherwise be the case. We had a financial control order when we separated. And it, like you say, it was only enforceable for a year. And my my ex-husband did remind me of that quite yeah. frequently. You're only getting yeah. this for a year. Yeah. And after the year, you can't go back to court to, to have it re-established unless you both agree it, because the court can only make child maintenance orders by agreement. So I, other than that, it goes to CMS. Yeah, I do, I haven't actually gone down the CMS route because he was made redundant at the end of 2020 and unfortunately hasn't been able to find employment since. Um, so legally, all he has to give me is thirty pounds a month. So seven, I think it's seventeen pounds per child per month because he doesn't have an income. So I don't see the the point of the stress of me going to the CMS, asking for them to do that for me, I go to him and ask for them to take it from source from, from his benefits that he's receiving before he gets them to then end up on the end of a text message or a phone call saying, what are you playing at? So it's just, it's for me, it, it isn't worth the, the 30 quid's not worth it. <laughs> I mean, I know some people think it's the principle of it, but I, when he first left, I was in the situation where I needed his financial support because I didn't have a job because we'd just moved house and I'd given up my my um, career and my job to move and was helping the children settle into their schools and everything and was looking to find a new job in the new year. And unfortunately, we separated before that could happen. And I went on to Universal Credits. I got myself down the job centre. I got myself a job in a, a part-time job in a local pub, which I was never allowed to do when we were married because there, no wife of his was going to work behind a bar. Um, but that was my background anyway. So I went and got myself that little part-time job in a local pub. And then I grew my business, which I now am full-time self-employed. But I would never have been allowed to do that or if we were still together, because it would have meant that the money that I was earning was mine and he wouldn't have that control. But what I'm trying to get to is, is that he he paid me the, the money that we were told he should pay me. So he did a calculation on the CSA website for his earnings and for what he should give me. And he gave me that until he was made redundant. So, but like I say, for the £30 a month, I don't feel it's worth the, the stress, the argument, the grief. And I just manage now. Yeah. I think for, from my point of view, because I initiated the separation and the divorce, 
my ex's view was you've chosen you've made the choice now to be a single parent so why should I pay for that so he doesn't see that he doesn't see the maintenance as for his children he feels like he's paying me every month but that goes into a totally separate account it's allocated out for you know brownies and school meals and you know percentage towards the shopping and the bills for the house because I pay 100% of that and this house was bought, bought on quite a significant joint income that isn't coming into this house anymore um but yeah I think I think the view on it sometimes um is that it isn't for the children when it is but he will buy them like you know if I say well needs new needs some new shirts or whatever he'll, he'll get on things but that's because that's in his control to do it mm. and, it, oh, and my, he... ex, my ex is exactly the same he will not give me money for the children because he's giving it to me even yeah. though, I've even asked him to put money in our youngest's um school dinner money account so you have a parent pay account don't you that you put the school dinner money into I said well there's the details can you put 30 pounds a month into the school dinner money account for me yeah 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 okay 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 but then because I have to keep asking for it it's that element of control again so in the end I go do you know what I'm not gonna bother asking anymore I'm just gonna do it myself because I'm sick of asking well I've been asking for my child maintenance on a standing order whether it's weekly fortnightly monthly whatever suits his own personal circumstances to have it on a standing order and three years later I'm still having to message for it every month to say where is it mm. not here. One, one of the powers the CMS does have is to take directly from an employer um, so it's if you have an a lot of people will go down the agreement route rather than the either court order or CMS ordered but the CMS does have a power to take it direct from source. Um, there is a charge for that fee, but I um, I don't want to commit myself to this because I'm not 100 percent sure. But I think it's the non-payer, um, you know, the person who has failed to pay what they should be paying that pays that fee. But you'd need to check that. It's not a lot of money anyway, but that might be something to consider. Um, obviously, I don't know anything about your case or whether that would be appropriate in your case, but it might be worth looking at the CMS rules on that. Yeah, I have looked into that and I've said to him, if, you know, I, I can get him to take it out your salary. And he's like, it's no one's business what I'm earning. Yeah, it, it will be theirs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we've, we've talked quite a lot at the beginning around like the early days, you know, the relationship, the breakdown of communication, how like money flowed into the relationships. Um, we've talked about how we, um, what, what we might have done differently in the past and, um ways of you know different bank accounts and how to manage that as a as in, in healthy relationships and then we've talked a little bit about this sort of financial agreement and the financial settlement pro element um now ellie i know and obviously you know because it's your job um i talk to a lot of clients around um the financial um oh the word i'm perimenopausal which i'm open about so sometimes words forget me um, and it's the financial disclosure. There we go. I knew I'd get yeah. that in the end. Um, which is a very, very important part of the process where those that don't know that are listening, um, each couple has to go to their respective lawyers if they're using them and financially disclose um, what they've got. Now, Laura's alluded to, I'm not sure in the recording if or, or pre, but previously alluded to the fact that that seems to be an issue for your partner, right, Laura? He's not wanting to, you just alluded it to again, you know, it's none of, no one's business what I've got, you know, what I'm earning. Yeah. I mean, we did do a mediation session the year we separated to try and sort of get these the ball rolling. Um, so we had the disclosure then, but, you know, years have passed now and he's in a different job. I don't know where he works, don't know what he earns. And it's just, 
it's that like it's not your business but it's like in my personal situation he's the one that's going to benefit from this divorce because he opted not to pay into a pension and I paid into mine from when I was 16 so I've got a, a pension pot and he's just got his auto enrollment pot so there's no assets on the opposite side but for me he's just you know there's nothing there so to a degree it's just like why just get on with it but, it, but like Natalie's mentioned before it's the con- the control element or the fact that it's just not a priority for him why is right. about getting a pension share for something you can't access for another 20 years right and then but then it comes to this question right Ellie where people say well should I should I stop paying into my pension then mm. yeah I, I had a, a very difficult situation with exactly this a few years ago where a client of mine had a very good pension um there was a lot of money in the case actually and you know relatively speaking and he was wanting to continue his pension because he was approaching his 60s and and he was like I'm, I'm I can't remember exactly how old he was but let's say he was 58 or whatever and he's like I've got a couple more years to really focus on my pension but because she's not agreeing a settlement and he wasn't trying to undercut her at all but it was in her interest to drag it out as long as she could because his pension was continued to go up. So if she's going to get a 50% pension and there's 100,000 in it, but if she drags it out long enough so that there's 120 in it, she's going to get an extra 10 grand. So, and that's just playing on the small numbers. I mean, his pension was substantially higher to that. We were talking nearer to the million mark. So it was a really difficult situation to try and get her to engage. And although we were agreed on most things, the constant delay and slowing down of the proceedings meant that in the end, we had to issue court proceedings. We didn't want to because we were saying, we're confident we can agree, but she was dragging everything out. And I didn't come into the case until he was already two years in and had spent £27,000 to get to the first hearing. Um, and that's when I'm like, no, 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 we've got to, we've got to mush, like really push this on. Um, so it's really difficult to to do that. And I mean, £27,000 to the first hearing is eye-watering. But unfortunately, it's not uncommon. You hear it when there has been substantial delays. And although he was the one with the money, in my opinion, it was the wife who was who was committing, if we're going to use that word, um, financial abuse. She was, because she'd stayed in the house, he was having to pay all the mortgage, pay the maintenance, pay the kids. She was living in this lovely house while he was managing... Um, to to rent somewhere much much smaller and much less convenient because he was a sensible man he could have gone and rented a nice great big four bed to match hers but he's saying neither of us need a four bed the kids have all gone so he could have done it and lived a nice lifestyle but he chose to to go in a very small little place in order to preserve the family wealth so there'd be more to to split but Mm. she was the one abusing him by delaying the process, even though she was bringing nothing into the marriage in a financial way. And no longer was she responsible for the children or anything because they'd left home years before. No, but it's the potential of the fact that she might have to um, go go back to work when she hasn't worked for 20 years. And there she's was thinking, so much money in that pot she wouldn't have needed to. There was so much available, but it was controlled. She was so angry that he'd left her. Right. That's what that particular one. It's the only thing she had left to to control yeah. on them so then the, the only answer to that is then take them to court which I, th- I find for a lot of yeah. female clients that I come across they're, they're playing like this um I want to be amicable let's be nice game 
Um, they're trying to be, you know, nice to their solicitors and be the good girl and do the right thing and, you know, do as we're told. And oh, my solicitor hasn't got back to me yet. And it's been a few weeks. Do I chase them up? Are they going to charge me if I ring them and they speak to me? Like there's so much all around that. And then they've also, you know, even if they're not in abusive relationships and there hasn't been financial control and actually things have been quite amicable, but they're dragging their feet for whatever reason because it suits them for whatever reason. But people want to draw a line. They want to move on with their lives. It takes years, this process sometimes. Women seem to then, they've come up with an agreement. They've agreed that they're going to go 50-50 on the pension, 50-50 on the house, and she's going to stay there and what whatever they've agreed to. Right? That, that, that in itself is complicated. And it's so bespoke and so personal based on so many different things. Um, but then she'll go, well, well, I'll give up the pension then, like, I'll, I'll keep the house because I'd rather have a roof over my head and you keep your pension. Then she's like having to try and play catch up for many, many years thereafter. But there's often like this giving in because they're often broken, worn out, tired. There isn't this digging, let's go to court then. <laughs> Yeah, and the, and the trouble is you take the path of least resistance. And like you say, you give up the pension. And even if the pension is worth exactly the same as the house, you give up the pension, but you're living in the pension. So at some point you're you're just really kicking, unless you are hugely overhoused, you're really kicking the problem into the long grass. Because if you're frightened of selling the house at 40 because you can't afford to get another one, but you either delay the sale of the house, you either agree to offset, you have the house, he has the pension, or you go, all right, well, I'll have what's called a measure order. I'll tell you what that is if you want me to in a minute. But if you do have a measure order, which is a, a deferred sale, then you're going to have that same problem when you're now 10 years older than you were because you've held on to the, the house for the children's sake. But now you're 10 years older, so your mortgage capacity is probably less than it was back then, unless you're on a good career trajectory, that's different. But if you're not, and you're going to have a smaller mortgage capacity, no spousal maintenance. So, so you've got to sell your home and downsize. Who knows what the future holds? You might not be able to afford a suitable house at that point. And you've got no pension or a much, much smaller house. And then you're living on pension. So it, it's really not ideal not considering the pensions. I think everybody should come and see someone like you, Rebecca, to have that conversation right from the beginning. What do I need to live on in retirement? Because it's way more than just a house. Totally. I mean, I obviously I'd agree with you on that on that point. Um, but I, at the same time, I do sympathise for those who aren't on that career progression. Yeah. Um, they might have a slower earnings. Uh, they might want to stay in the same area, you know, near family and friends. Um, then maybe the children are younger. They can't downsize yet. Um, you know, and that, that 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 that's what they sort of hang on for. So yeah. I, I can get that. It's I totally really, get it. I totally yeah, really, get it. Really and hard. there's no easy answer. There isn't, there isn't. And unfortunately, um, mortgage wise, um, you, this is my understanding as of, you know, a few, just only a few years ago, um, you can't get a mortgage um, on spousal or child maintenance unless it is court agreed. I think that's right. I've had, it used to be you couldn't get it at all as far as I was aware. Um, maybe my clients were unlucky, but I'd had a few that, that were told, no, you couldn't. I have been told that you can get it on spousal. I don't, 
I'm not sure if you can get it on children or not, but I think They're in some really ways young, the children, like really yeah, young. exactly, because then you know it's guaranteed for so many years. Yeah. However, I did have one mortgage company say, no, we won't do that. And it wasn't to me, it was obviously to my client. But no, we don't, because the child could change residence. The child could go and move in with the other parent, because there is more and more parents now with that sort of living arrangement where it's 50 50 the maintenance can drop and go away so mm. it's not even the child isn't guaranteed so if you've got like lifetime spousal then that's one thing but as i say there that's you know very hard to get his hen's teeth now so it's more likely to be a term and what mortgage company is going to look at your income and say okay you've got a thousand pounds a month maintenance but that's going to stop in two years they're not going to they're not they're going not to be going, happy with that. no definitely not Natalie, I mean, what's your situation when it came to the financial agreement side of things? How did you come up with your agreement? We had to submit all of our earnings, pensions, savings. So we had to tell um, our solicitors and the court, like the, all the paperwork, fill in all the paperwork and say what we had and what we didn't have. Um, we were renting, so there was no actual assets as such. So there weren't any savings. There was debt. There wasn't anything else. Um but the debt was in his name. So he had the credit cards, which he controlled. I had no control over the credit cards. I didn't have a credit card until he, um, like a month before he left, he actually made me a named card holder on one of the credit card accounts because he knew he was going to leave and he wanted to leave me with an emergency backup. Um, but um, we had, so we had to put, in the financial control order that he accepted the debt. He would never come to me for the debt. He likes to remind me of the debt, but he he took it and he said that he would be responsible for it. Um, we put the financial control order in place that how much he would give me for the children um, whilst he was in employment. But I had a very good solicitor that he said to me, we can't go to him if he hasn't got it. He said that, you know, if he loses his job, which in hindsight, I don't know whether he could foresee the future, but he said, but if he loses his job, you can't take what he hasn't got. Mm. Um, so with regards to pensions and things like that, we never even looked into it because I'd paused my pension when I had my first child and hadn't even started paying back into it by then. He only had um the one like the one that the employer paid into and he paid into so there wasn't a private pension in place so there wasn't anything for us to knock heads over mm. as such so that was that in a way that was a, a an easier way to split the finances as such I did put in place that if I was to come into an inheritance or if the children were to come into an inheritance he can touch it mm. because I knew that if God forbid one of my parents passed away whilst we were in the first throes of our divorce and our separation that he would go, you've just got 50 grand inheritance. I want half of that. So we did put that in place that he couldn't come to me and I in turn couldn't go to him. And if the children, if the children were to inherit anything, then it was to be put into a trust where neither he nor I could touch it. Um, our son, like I said, was poorly in 2018 and we do have a medical negligence case, which we can go for, but I put it in, place then in the, all the paperwork that if anything came from it it was all to go into a trust in our son's name and that I would be the main executor of that and no one else could touch it so I did have to be careful in that sense and I like I said I had a very good solicitor who who did all that for me because I was a little bit of a puddle on the floor so he kind of because you have to you know this is all happening at the same time that I'm 
with I've got no job, I've got no income, and my husband just left me. Mm. So I, my the mental like the mental health side of it was horrendous, but I had to kind of pick myself up and get on with it. But yeah, it was it was difficult, but it's it's settled more now, and I'm at now in the place where I can start paying into my pension again. But it's mine, so luckily it can't be touched. <laughs> <laughs> and if you get married again, free not. yeah only if jason momoa you know available (laughs) that would be the only person that i would uh consider at the moment (laughs) so for you laura like you've had financial um agreement no sorry the financial disclosure a year ago like where what do you hope to get things sorted this year or well i say the the forms are literally here on my desk so i want to fill in the the D81, which is like the voluntary disclosure, we're keeping the courts out of it because we verbally agreed in mediation what percentage of the pension and what the equity in the house split would be. Um, but I need his information for the form. Um, and it's just, I'd, I don't think it's a priority for him, but for me, I wanted that final order and I want that closure. Mm-hmm. From a planning side of things, on, on, on the other side, I am quite financially aware. So like I've changed my will, I've redone my power of attorney, I've changed my pension nominations. So the things that I can control, I boxed off quite early, mm-hmm. but I can't make him fill in the, the voluntary disclosure form. So anything that I could control, I've, I've taken control of. But now it's just like waiting. Ellie, what do you think about that? See, I find it really odd. Um, and difficult to understand how you can reach a financial agreement without knowing what the disclosure is so I don't understand how you've reached that agreement if he won't put his figures down if he's already given them even in broad terms sufficient to come up with an agreement in mediation I don't know why he can't just use those same figures on the D81. Well this the the figures are like two and a half years old now so I know he's changed jobs since then but I've got all the figures that was put in mediation they're obviously out of date but they're not yeah. going to make any difference I suppose the only the only thing I could suggest and I don't know that a court would agree to it is to use the figures that were put in mediation and say that you had both agreed certain um split of your percentage of this and that and the other everything on there but put a narrative on the D81 saying we've both agreed to use the figures that were put forward in mediation at the time it was agreed so whilst they may be out of date we're both happy to go forward with that um what I can't say is if that would provide a fair result because if he's earning substantially more or he's come into some money somewhere or even if it's the opposite and he's got some massive debt now that wasn't in place before I can't say whether that would be a fair result but it would if you're saying I don't actually care what he's got. I just want to resolve it on the order that or the agreement that we reached in mediation. That's yeah. one way to potentially get around it because then oh, what you might find is a court oh. comes back and says, no, I want the numbers, and then he'll have to give the numbers. Well, okay. Well, that's something to think about because I'm not getting anything out of it any, anyway. So I just want it done. Mm, we move on. It's, right? it's something to think yeah. of, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. difficult. I mean, obviously, no one will be able to give you a categoric answer um, when we've had a five minute chat on the internet but um, <laughs> you know I'd, I'd be happy to have a chat with you after but I think that that is one way around it I have got one case where we have done that we've said um, we're using old figures because that's what was agreed and anything that both parties both parties have gone on and bought new houses and created new lives since then and they've both said it would be unfair to bring that in so we're both happy to use old numbers um, but that's still sitting with the court waiting for approval so I don't know what they're going to say on it. So before we, we start to wrap up, um, 
Ellie, what top sort of three tips would you give people that are thinking of starting the divorce process? Um, cool, top three, there's so many. Um, I would say number one is to get advice really early. Um, so that doesn't mean hiring the first lawyer to speak to give some thought to it do as much as you can yourself you don't you know even when you do decide to work with a lawyer you don't have to give them um the reins and let them do everything but don't feel that you you know you you've got to go through this on your own and be ill-informed or in the dark so always I would say always take the advice as and when you need it um but that sort of links to what I would say is my second tip would be don't be rushed so especially if it's the other party's decision, you might find that they are mentally prepared for this. They knew it was coming. You didn't know it was coming. So don't feel that, you know, they say, unless you give this to me or unless you put the house on the market, I'm going to court next week. You're entitled to some time to think about it. And frankly, if that's their way and they're going to go to court anyway, let them. The court's wheels turn very slowly. So don't feel rushed into making massive decisions. Give yourself the time to take advice, to get your head straight and to grieve. You know, even if you're married to the worst person on earth, it's still the grieving of the end of what you hoped would be a long and happy marriage. So don't be forced or rushed into anything. I think that's quite an important one. But never miss a court deadline. If the court order you to do something, do it. But if they do, ignore it. Um, tip three, um, I would think don't assume you know what they're going to do um we really do see a different side of people and some say the true side of people when we divorce them but that also does include ourselves uh, we're not going to bring our best self to this conversation um so whatever you're feeling be mindful that the other party might also be feeling certain things as well and i'm not saying factor it in and and change what you're doing or give in or anything else but just be mindful that everyone is probably knee jerking in an unpleasant way and don't drop to their standards keep your standards high don't sink to their level because it will cost you an absolute fortune and people like me will get very rich off the back of it <laughs> which would be lovely but you know not ideal for well, you rather probably best not natalie what would you what would, what would your be three tips for women that are thinking about potentially separating and divorcing oh have an emergency fund i i kick myself now that i didn't have some savings have even if it was just a month's worth of rent um just have something in a savings account somewhere and then if you never divorce then you've got a nice little cruise when the kids have left home haven't you <laughs> it, it i definitely would have a, a, a separate emergency fund um yeah. not from personal experience but from people that i've known make sure the car's in your name even if they've bought you the car. Now, my ex-husband couldn't drive. He was born partially sighted. And I was the the, the chauffeur of the family. That car was in my name. When, he, when we purchased it, he put all the paperwork in my name and everything else. Make sure you have got something like that in your name because otherwise you're left stranded and having to rely on them. And as Ellie said, have a little bit of empathy for the whole situation, not just for yourself. I mean, I was the wronged party. I can say that, but I also know people that have walked out of relationships from the female point of view, where they've walked away from the relationship and they've said, "I can't do this anymore." And the the, the male partner has felt wronged. It, 
there is the, there's always emotions from each side of it so you do just just try and take into consideration but like Ellie says don't change the way you're going to do things because of it but have a little bit of consideration for everybody within the situation thank you thanks for that Ruth sorry not <laughs> Ruth it's because my someone's text me called Ruth and it just flashed up literally below your name. <laughs> Laura, not Ruth. Um, Laura, what would you say? I mean, obviously you're not at the end of the process, but you've done a lot and you've done, it sounds like you've done a lot on your own. Um, yeah. And you've, you've taken control where you, where you can. What would be your tips? I'd say don't be, don't be afraid of getting support, whether that's support around counselling, whether that's support around getting your free legal advice, whether that's support around speaking to a financial advisor. Do your research and know what your options are. Choose what you spend your energy on. And I know that's hard when you've been in a relationship for so long that's took so much of your energy. But try and think, does, does this deserve the, the, the amount of energy that I'm spending on it? And quite often the answer is no. And do things that fill your cup you know go for your walk spend time with your children remind yourself while you're doing it because I'm doing it for my children and it is a long and difficult process but if you keep that end goal in mind and what will be there at the end of it that'll help you keep going when it is really not easy I always feel such admiration for women that are brave enough to you know that I speak to I mean obviously it can be the other way but it can be male or female but I think it's, it, it's such a brave thing to do because actually sometimes not always but sometimes it must be easier to stay because it sort of doesn't you know it doesn't rock the boat and things can be much simpler um so I always have such admiration for I mean I've got one client who's told me every year for the last five years that she's leaving him <laughs> and she hasn't yet so he can't be that bad right um but she spent like the last five years planning on leaving him and um she's probably the most researched and ready uh person when, when maybe when it happens and um, one well, day I mean, something will be as, as just the the final straw and she'll go yeah <laughs> but I think there's a there's a piece of fear there of the change right that you're basically starting a whole new life again everything so so much changes and I think a lot of women stay for the children as well um because I don't want to upset the children and rock the boat it's such a, obviously an emotional thing to go through so I think Laura your point around having support the right kind of support around you I think's really key and, and having um either therapists or counsellors um, and there's there's coaches now there's like they're obviously not lawyers like Ellie um, but there are coaches that can help you through that. And there's also trauma-informed coaches that can help you through that. Um, and sometimes it, it could take quite a few years to be ready to be brave enough, right? Because, I mean, and I do feel um, it's important. So we've, we've talked a little bit about control today. Uh, we've talked about financial abuse today. Um, and so it's, it's right for me to mention a charity called Economic Abuse, um, which I've had training in. And... Um, the law changed, and Ellie might tell me otherwise. I did a blog on my, uh, I think I've done a blog on this, or I did it in my newsletter. So the, this is a few weeks ago. So the date uh, it escapes me now, but um, I think it was last year or the year before the law changed where um, the, the way that financial abuse used to work would be, oh, he's not giving me any, me any money each month. And, I'm, you know, I, I haven't got any money for sanitary products, for example. Like really obvious things, like basics, not basic needs not being met. Now it would be your example, Natalie, that you gave around him not allowing you to work. That's economic abuse. 
Um, so if he, someone took the car keys, you couldn't get to work. That's economic abuse. Um, and it's being far more um, realised um, in the courts and in legal proceedings now, actually what can go on behind closed, closed doors. So if anyone is experiencing economic abuse, financial abuse or physical abuse and mental abuse, there are charities out there that can help you. Um, and do check out uh, economicabuse.co.uk, who has a massive wealth of resources to other charities um, and other resources um, and there are other charities like Women's Aid who help women um, escape um, certainly emotional and physical um, situations that need um, you need to have some of your own space to get away, which any I would probably you would agree is not always best legally the thing to do um, to get out of the house. Um, yeah, that's right. It's not always that sometimes you, you have to. Um, but if you have to do it, then spend half an hour speaking to somebody before you do to make sure that you've got the right measures in place to help you if you have to do that yeah and just to explain to people so legally speaking once you leave the family home you're sort of saying in a legal sense that you don't need it um is, is that right would that be a right assumption Lenny? yeah you, you don't give up rights to ownership but it can make it much harder to get back in once you're out once, so yeah. um, if you if you're thinking i'm just leaving for a break for a couple of months um, it can be difficult to get back in. The other party can argue that your housing needs are met elsewhere. Exactly that. Um, and that's what I, I had a client the other day and she said, oh, I'm, I'm just going to go. And I said, please don't do that. Go and get legal advice. <laughs> um, so having the right resources around you and having the right help around, spend the time to get to get help where you need. And I will try and share as many of those resources in the show notes below. Has anyone got anything that they feel that they wanted to share or impart? that we haven't spoken about today? I've got one quick thing to add in terms of this abuse thing. One of the things that a lot of the time um, people will say to me, and it is usually women will say to me, they're frightened of starting the court proceedings or going to mediation because they don't want to sit in a room with the person. They're frightened. It might be the first time I've seen them in years. Um, there are so many measures in place. So you can have mediation that is not face-to-face. -face. You can have it on Zoom. You can have it in the building but in separate rooms if you've got a good mediator they will facilitate that for you you don't have to have mediation though if you are a, a victim of domestic abuse or violence if there's been any accusations of that you don't have to do it but if you want to try and resolve things you can but if you do end up in court then make sure that you let the court know that this is an element where abuse is involved because you can have screens put up in court you can have separate waiting rooms, separate entrances. You can have somebody that sits with you, like brings you, sits you to a place so that the other person can't intimidate you. And I think these are not advertised enough. People don't know those measures are available. Thank you. Laura, you said something you wanted to add. Yeah, I'd just add that ultimately this is it's your life and the decisions that you're making for your future so other people might be saying oh well you got married you know you didn't you your wedding vows you know death to your part suck it up get on with it if you're not happy in your life it's the only life you're getting so just think about that when other people are trying to tell you what should or shouldn't be doing yeah I totally agree and and a lot of the time you might not get support from who the people you want to get support from um as I mentioned at one point, I had um, Natalie, uh, not Natalie, Caroline Strawson um, come on and she talks about um, narcissistic abuse. 
And quite often when you're dealing with a narcissist, everyone else around thinks they're perfect and brilliant because that's that's the nature of a narcissist. They, they make everyone else think that you're the crazy one. And then you start to be bought into that narrative. Um, so I totally agree, Laura, having other people to speak to that you feel that can be listened to um, because you're probably not going mad. You're probably not crazy. Um, so, yeah, thank you for that. Natalie, anything you wanted to add? No, I think I've said all I need to say. Thank you. And also, I am perimenopause as well, so I've probably forgotten half the things I wanted to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can definitely relate to that. I've really enjoyed our chat today. Thank you so much for your time um, and taking yeah taking this time. Who knows how many people it will help? Um, and that's the point of this podcast is to help as many people as you can. Um, well, I'll share Na Ellie's uh, details if you want to check out her membership that she mentioned right at the beginning or you want to have a chat with her, then I will uh, share Ellie's uh, solicitor law services, legal services. Um, and um, obviously, Natalie and Laura, thank you so much for your time to come in and share your story. Um, and uh, well, that's over from me, really. Thanks again. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Accelerate Your Wealth. For further help or to connect with Rebecca directly, please head over to the website www.rebeccarobertson.co.uk where you can find further information on our planner, book and how to further maximise your wealth. Our sponsor, Evolution Financial Planning for regulated advice on pensions, investments, mortgages, insurances on www.evolutionfinancialplanning.co.uk forward slash podcast.